listen to these sweet vibes from our man Dan Tang. This is fun to speak over. Everybody, what is up? Welcome into episode 157 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. After Mike and I get all caught up, we will talk some education and we're going to reference Aaron Edgar's article in the October issue talking about shifting the pulse from 3-4 to 12-8. After that, our featured artist will be Mr. Tony Rico Nichols of Kendrick Lamar's band. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out the Peisty Masters Dry and Extra Dry Rides and trust me, they are dry. After that, we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions and as always we'll give you our picks of the week so let's get started we are starting off on fire today buddy how are you man <laughs> i am doing well happy friday yeah. to you we're, we're posting this a little bit late this week if anyone is a friday listener we've just started recording yeah. them on fridays so we're doing our I've best had, to crank it out you know i'm, I'm i th- i think i remember this every year because this is my what is it this is my eighth year doing camps but my week off is always more busier than my week on because it's when I have to get caught up from mm. being in camp all week. Right. Uh, yeah. So I always think, oh, I got a full week off. And then, <laughs> I mean, every minute is just booked solid. It's slammed. So I uh, appreciate it. But we just finished our 77th drum camp here. Goodness. So 78, 79, and 80 uh, are coming up. I've got uh, camp starting this weekend. And then. I've got, I think, a week off or two weeks off, and then I head to the UK drum show. And so that's coming up. Yeah, yeah, I'll be doing a private uh, masterclass to 15 people only in Castleford the day before, or I'm sorry, on Friday before the UK drum show. You can contact Crash Drum School for that in Castleford. And then. I'll go. I want to be there for Saturday to see Benny and Richard Spaven and everyone play on Saturday. Then I perform on Sunday alongside JoJo Mayer, um, Greg Hutchinson. Oh wow! Uh, be a reunion. Who's of our sorts. boy from? Yeah, our, uh, exactly, exactly. Our boy from William Patterson uh, that Which sings Josh Dion. Okay. Yeah, so it's going to be a fun day, and then I go from there. To Bath, I've never been to Bath before, and then I'm doing a clinic in Bath. So uh, we'll get three of those in, get back, do two more camps, and then I tried really hard. I, you and I were texting the other day. I was really going to book a flight and come see you at PASIC, but I'll be in Spain. So oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing a clinic tour over there. <laughs> I'll be so. in Indianapolis, probably freezing. <laughs> if history is uh, telling, it's usually the coldest day of the year when I'm there. Yeah, I think... <laughs> Madrid and Indianapolis are very similar at that time of year. I'm I'm sure. I'm sure they are. (laughs) Cool. Cool. I'll send you a postcard. You send me a postcard and we'll be all good. But yeah, so I'm doing a – I've got a drum festival in Poland. Then I'm doing a few dates in Germany and then down into Madrid, Spain. So, uh, But I I really – I even told Amber, I said, we need more business expenses. I'm going to go sit front row and support the hell out of Dawson (laughs) at PASIC. So, listeners, I can't be there. Since I can't, you need to be there. Get there to see Mike do his clinic at PASIC, and that would be awesome. I'm fairly certain I am the first drum set clinic of the event, which in years past that would have been awful because they were at 9 a.m. But the past couple years they're they're starting at noon, so it's not too terrible. But it'll be cool to kind of kick it off. I am in the, the master class room, I think they're calling it, not the big ballroom. Which I think okay. is more appropriate for what I'm going to be presenting because I'm going to be essentially showing you some things to practice rather than showing you how fast I can play. There'll be very right. little of me playing fast, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You might get that basic 
coffee buzz going, and then all of a sudden, it's like, you know what? What could be the worst thing? I can tell you what could be the worst thing. You can throw your sticks right out of your hand, straight at Thomas Lang's face. That went well for me. PASIC went well. I was so hyper-prepared for PASIC. Uh, That was where I truly learned that performance is completely related to preparation. The more you're prepared, the better your performance. That's it. Yeah, the big thing, it was funny. I mean, it's not funny. It's what I knew would happen. The playing part of it and the content that I'm going to be explaining doesn't scare me at all. It's the it's the speaking part. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm practicing. I've been recording myself giving many lessons and and not realizing how much I might trip over words and say things sure, that aren't right sure. and having to correct myself. Like I said, left hand and I should have said left foot. And oh. once you say it, there's no unsaying it. Yeah. You have to just acknowledge that you screwed up and say, nope, I meant left foot. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> they a, are different. I did a lesson I'm because I'm dividing the presentation into ways that I work on my creative side via stickings and via independence kind of concepts. Nice. So I did I did one this yesterday. Um, which was really kind of what I'm actually practicing now, which is two limb independence and then being free to improvise with the other two. Definitely yeah. don't have it mastered. I still needed to record it to make sure that I should even present it. Had no mm-hmm. idea that I flipped the ostinato during one of the examples. Oh, wow. Yeah, totally flipped wow. it. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this. Um, in these instances, are your ostinatos common ones that everyone knows or are these things that you're just kind of making up on the spot? Well, the whole point of it for me, the whole, the whole crux of the whole presentation is explore the simple stuff, exhaust okay. the simple stuff. So, none of my ostinatos are difficult technically. Okay. The first ostinato so, is literally quarter notes on the ride cymbal or hi hat. Second ostinato is, which is the one that tripped me up, quarter notes with the right hand on something, and the okay. left the left foot on the off beats. And then at some point, your left foot became your downbeat. Yeah, and no, it, without yeah. you knowing. Yeah, it. exactly. At some point, yeah, they yeah. just started playing unisons. Oh, isn't that fun? <laughs> <laughs> isn't that the best way? You think you're just killing them? You look over, you're like, oh, look at you two just playing together, all nice and okey dokey. I mean, I knew I was on the edge of collapse as I was doing it, but then looking at the video, I'm like, wow, man, okay, you definitely need to shed this this part. And there's no yeah. way in hell am I going to go any more advanced than that at basic. Like to try. Yeah, to well, do you don't. Three limb ostinato? Nah, not doing it. You know, I, I think there's also a balance when it comes to clinic presentation of what the audience thinks they can handle and what they can truly handle as far as going home and practicing. Because I, I know that I've found myself pushing the envelope so far, and then I think like, how many people really? If I if I brought them up on the stage, how many people could even handle half of that right now? Like probably two percent of this entire crowd. Most, yeah. People that are there, you know, are, are are somewhere in their journey where they're just playing the drums for fun, and so giving them practical things to work on. I mean, especially in in a situation like PASIC, and this is, I believe, your first time doing something like this where you're back to back with other fantastic drum set players. It's we get kind of. I mean, I, I just put up a picture of the London or the UK drum show. Uh, roster and I'm and mm. I'm as I'm posting the picture I'm looking at it going oh my god <laughs> like and, and then it's like okay I got to teach the craziest and then like whoa 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 you know what JoJo's there Benny's there Richard Spaven's there Hutch is there 
what if I was the most relatable person there? What right. if I taught yeah. things that people left and said, I think I could actually do that. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's I mean, my role. I think of someone like Dom Famularo, that's been his career. It's just getting people right. fired up about drums. And then he right. plays a solo that's great. But, you know, he's that's not the thing for him. The thing is right. just getting people excited about drums and the community of drummers. I mean, right. I, looking back, I think if I wouldn't have seen Dom Famularo's clinic when I was 14 years old, I probably would have quit because it just it right. just showed me that there's this whole world that's like really viable and really healthy and exciting. And what a legacy that is. I mean, if his legacy is there's a, you know, tens of thousands of drummers that are playing today because they didn't quit, if that's his legacy, right. that's more than enough. I think for me, I, I can be mildly inspirational if I need to. It's usually, but my inspiration is usually a little bit more removed from the drums and more just about life in general. But my role in the drum industry, I feel, is to be content-wise, and I mean drumming content-wise, relatable. Like Mm -hmm. I'm the guy where people see it and they go, well, if he can do it, I can totally do it. And I have to be careful as we keep developing this world of YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and, and all this social media, I have to be careful not to push so hard to leave that world behind and get stuck in this competitive world of, well, Jojo's playing that and Thomas is playing that. Like that's yeah. not my, that's not my wheelhouse. How you complex know? And, can I be this year? Yeah, yeah. And as I'm slowly leaving the people that I need to be inspiring behind and then all of a sudden you realize like, oh yeah, there's this tiny handful of Uber drummers that can handle this content, but that's not my fan base. And that's not, that's not the fan base I want. Anyways, I want to have the average drummer. That's just put in enough time to say, I'm a drummer. I don't, I'm not a drum set owner. I'm a drummer, Mm -hmm. but they haven't really, really taken it to the next level. I want to be there for them where I'm like, dude, you could do this. This just takes a little, you're just missing some hours, but you're not missing any talent. You're not missing, any secret book. So uh, speaking of that, let's talk about something that neither of us can do. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> well, actually, let's first talk acknowledge our... In- <laughs> yeah. let's, let's igno- yeah, let's acknowledge that sweet intro groove. <laughs> that was buttery to talk over. Thank yeah, you for that, Dan. That was Dan Tang. Uh, where is he? He's in Melbourne. Is it Melbourne? Is that how you say it? Melbourne? It's, it's how you say it if you're from there. Melbourne, Australia. See? I'm a yeah. local. Uh, <laughs> he's playing a Thomas Silver Star, Silver Star Bird. See, I'm getting ahead of my my own speech, even on Crushing the show. It. How many episodes Crushing are we in? One hundred and fifty-seven, Mr. Dawson, and I still have cotton in my mouth. So it's a Silver <laughs> Star Birch kit with an 18-inch bass drum, five-inch snare. He's got the Peisty 2002 Big Beat Hi Hat 16s. I remember reviewing those, and they were awesome. Um, He's using Logic Pro. He's got a Focusrite Scarlet interface. Again, if you're looking for a good quality but not super expensive interface, the Focusrite Scarlet 18i8. It's awesome. He's got a classic uh, EVRE320 bass drum mic, Shure SM57 on the snare, Audio Technica 2020. Is that their super cheap one? $99. Yeah, that's his overhead and also an yep. SE2200A. I just did a uh, overhead, by the way, Dan, amazing job. And seriously, thank you for those sweet sounds. Because when I'm doing the intro recording, it's nice to know that there's this pillow of music for me to lay my head on. (laughs) (laughs) So I did in the live lessons the other day on MikeSelsons.com, plug for my website, I did 
an overhead shootout with the mics that I had. I started at $99 and went up to, I guess, $1,250 with the AT5045. And from the $99, I guess from that point on, it only got worse as far as no EQ, no compression, no nothing. Yeah, Yeah, and that, that was the whole point was to let them know every time I bump up in price, I'm bumping up in reality. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it sounds bad. It's just like filming any footage in log where it's like it's flat and gray and no contrast. It's like, well, yeah, that's because your iPhone does that for you because they don't think you know how to do it. And yeah. that's kind of what these cheaper microphones do. But honestly, with the AT2020, and I'm only saying this because it's the one I own, I would assume it's the same with Audix's $99 microphone or Shure's $99 microphone. You just kind of put it up and it's done. I mean, if if anything, I would take stuff out. I would roll mm. off some of the highs, uh, but it's kind of scooped for you already. Lows are boosted, the highs are boosted, and the mids are scooped. So those things are great, and you can hear in Dan's kit sounds awesome. Yeah, ninety nine bucks. I mean, it's that's the thing. It's like how much is too much? In my overheads, and I've tried. I haven't tried like super duper expensive ones. The most expensive overheads I have are the Shure KSM forty fours. I think is what they're called. Mm-hmm. Those are those are over a thousand bucks each. The ones yeah. I'm using are blue hummingbirds, and they're two hundred and fifty dollars each. That's awesome. They just sound better, fuller. Right. Not, not better. They're smaller. They're easier to position, and they sound just as good as the so expensive. So I think I think that's the key. Is it's not even really sound. It's it's replacing the word sound with they work better for you for yeah, your exactly. situation. Yeah, and that's what it kind of comes down to. And and I remember asking the guys at Audio Technica. I'm going to be moving to a two-mic setup. This is what I own currently. Do I have the best thing? I don't care about what the cost. And they said, no, no, no. If you're only going to have one overhead, you're not even doing stereo overheads. If you're just doing one overhead, let us send you this. It's our largest diaphragm. It'll pick up the most sound. It has a super high SPL, so you can use it for drums. So even though this podcast is not about sound, (laughs) uh, unfortunately, we're in a world now where you have to get sound from your drums onto your phone to share it with the world. So uh, it is important to understand this stuff. I mean, even if I wasn't planning on doing anything professionally with my drumming career and I was a student right now, I would buy at least one microphone and an interface and get used to tracking tracking anything yeah i mean it for nothing else it's the best way to evaluate your playing in an honest absolutely way. it's the only and, way to really know how you, you know really everybody sound. said oh just record yourself with your phone it's not that you can't it's that you won't listen back to yourself with your phone because it sounds like crap it's, yeah, and it's not it's, it's not accurate it's not yeah exactly anything except for the harshness right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly and if you want to hate right, yourself well, yeah record yourself yeah. with your phone do, do nothing but iphone videos for the rest of your life if you want to hate yourself <laughs> yeah there's a that's rough let's talk about somebody whose drums do sound fantastic in all of his recordings and videos and that is aaron edgar he just did a article on shifting the pulse from three four to twelve eight uh you and i watched his video you and i both agree that we get it, but we don't get it, which I love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the he concept, crushed it. The, the don't get it part is on us. Yeah. So Aaron basically took a riff from the Tool song. Uh, I guess it's pronounced Enema, whatever that weird symbol is, A-E-N-I-M-A. He took the main, you know, the first opening beat. I think it's the first opening beat. Yes, it is the first opening beat and analyzed it as either 3-4 or 12-8. 
because there's 12 notes, I think it can be perceived as either way. But when I look at the notation, I cannot mentally see them as the same thing. Right. It just will not. Something about seeing a triplet and then seeing two sixteenths and an eighth note, nope, never going to work. <laughs> but it is actually okay. perfectly accurate. So before we – well, do you want to play his thing first? Let's let's do this. Let's play the beat without the click. So in the beginning of the video that he made for us, he just plays the beat and there's no pulse. So let's do that first. So my question is when you first hear that, where do you hear the pulse? I hear, obviously, you know, luckily for us, he crashes on the one the first time. So we go, okay, that's the one. Got it. I hear the backbeat as his, I guess, eight inch Tom. So, oh, okay. See, that's a totally different perspective. Not totally, but I hear the snare drum is on two and four. The snare drum is with the wires off, but I hear that as a backbeat. Right. Boom, do, get, do, 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 get. Wow. <laughs> See? So there was a reason for him to write this because we did not talk about this part ahead of time. No. So you're hearing the the high tom as the backbeat. Let's drop it in again. And the snare is the damn. Ugh. Well, that was just a matter of half time versus regular time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So worse, but we're still both hearing it as triplets or Three twelve eight. Four yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, and that's that's what I more than what he's doing here. What I wanted to talk about is the math behind. One and a two and a three and a four and a one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. Obviously, yep. they're the same. Generally, if I'm trying to get my students to tell me, is this song three, four, or six, eight? And, or 12, eight's fine too, but. Um, and, and they, and I'm, I'm telling them right off the bat, they are both mathematically the same. Mm-hmm. Three quarter notes and six eighth notes are the same thing. I, what I'm looking for is generally. Six eight is going to be felt in two. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, mm-hmm. five, six. And three four is going to be felt in three equal parts of three. One, two, three. One, two, three. And generally I'll be able to find a backbeat that's not splitting the middle of that. It won't be mm-hmm. one, two, three, one. It won't be a polyrhythm. A lot of times, you know, you might have the backbeat on three. One, two, three. One, two. Three. That's a very different feel than one, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. So that's how I'm trying to discern three, four, and six, eight, or twelve, eight. Um, but what's kind of cool about this is he's not giving you a left foot pulse, right? Yeah. Not so it is open to interpretation. Um, so let me ask you this: Do you feel it in four, four when he plays? I hear it as triplets in 4-4, four, four, which yeah. would be the same thing as 12-8 with groupings of three. Right. I'm, I'm, I agree. Now, yeah, but the, here's the, what makes it this whole thing come together is if you listen to the original recording, 
right before mm-hmm. the drums come in, you hear Maynard Keenan doing like a, a breath sound that's actually in 3-4. So it's establishing this 16th note quarter note feel. And yes. then the drums come in, and it's like a triplet superimposition over top of it. So the question is, what, is the band hearing it as triplets with this quarter note triplet over top of it? How are they hearing right. it? Right. I've <laughs> said that so many times about Tool, Perfect Circle, Dave Matthews Band. I've said, unless you're in the rehearsal, I can't tell. I mean, we're all right because I, I don't know. I don't know what. At some point, the band says, Okay, so the rehearsal's going on, things are falling apart, and someone in the band says, bro, just think of it like this. And from that moment on, we all know what's going on. But that phrase, bro, just think of it like this, that should be a t-shirt. Because yeah. that's what drummers, are, like, producers have to get us on board. Like, uh, I think you're hearing it wrong. Just think of it like this. You know? I mean, like, it reminds are you sure me, that's uh, the one? I had a student years ago who um, I was teaching him the Afro-Cuban 6-8 you know, the drum set version that we all yeah. learned. Yep. And no matter what, he heard the pulse as 16th notes, so he played it like a 3-4 samba. Man. And I couldn't get him to flip perspective. I, it's like I couldn't, there's nothing I could do to be like, you're not I've, hearing I've the pulse. I've done that exact same thing with students so many times. And um, I, so the, the only thing I can do is I put on a triplet-based song or I make them play a full measure of triplets with their hands on the snare, so it's da 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 ding cha da da dun dun da ding cha, but even still, they'll just kind of lean until they go ding cha da da dun da 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 da, and I'm like, that is a badass three four samba thing, but that's not what I'm going for. I need that's got to be a cultural thing where we're just not hearing triplets in our in our music very often anymore. Right? Yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, I. I have that happen quite a bit too with someone that's maybe not they've never really gotten into blues or even jazz and then they're like oh I'll just try that shuffle track and I'm like oh okay you know I mean classic not even a halftime shuffle and the right hand just starts going you know and I'm like oh man you don't and what I've realized is it comes down to a grid and that's what this comes down to what's the grid in your head that these notes are lining up with yeah because you and I are clearly hearing instead of which is a very different grid. Maynard is singing that false. Yes, exactly. All right, so let's drop in Aaron. So Aaron does give us the payoff. Here's the version with the metronome clicking. I think it starts in the triplet version. So this is that pattern if you heard it as 12-8 or 4-4 as triplets. The 3-4 version, the right hand is actually just playing eighth notes and then stops on, P- on three, one, and two, and three. One, and two, and three. Into a one, and a two, and three. E. Yeah, one, yeah. And a so two, there's some and polyrhythms e. over top of it. Ooh, Daniel yep. Carey. <laughs> you little biscuit. So humble and kind at Nam, yet so devious in the studio. Yeah, 
So if you really, I mean, that's literally examples one and two in the article. Aaron takes it to the, to the stratosphere with on quintuplets that have this concept, nine over two that has this concept. So if you really want to uh, frustrate your sense of false, check out the rest of the article. If you want to know what I'm going for in my career, it's to let people like Aaron do this. Because, <laughs> g'dang. Uh, I, was, I was not only hornswoggled by the key of destiny, but I was also hornswoggled by that snare drum. I really was not hearing that in 3-4. Uh, um, and then just reading it and seeing the one, two, and one. So it's one, two, and on the and or the uh? It's on the of one and then the e of three. One, a two, and three. One, a two, and three. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. Pretty cool. So did you get your original Sorry. key back? Yeah, I got them both. Nice. So now you got Yeah, twins. so I've got the key of destiny. And then it got even crazier. It got so much crazier. What? I can't even tell you. Yeah, no, <laughs> this whole thing. So first of all. To Ernie and to Karen and to you and to John at Cherry Hill. There were four people in on this conspiracy. That's, hey, that's insane. That's a conspiracy, yep. Yeah, there were four of y'all. Uh, so to all of you, well done. I've, uh, once the original Key of Destiny showed up, I was like, how did I not notice that? Like, they are actually quite different in color. Did, uh, did Karen tell you she was taking pictures of you with the fake key all throughout the camp? No, she was kept sending not. me like uh, Instagram photos, like he's he's using the fake key right now. <laughs> <laughs> he's currently touching it. He has no idea. Yeah, and John even drilled. It's like a totem. John drilled a little thing in the inside of the key, so I'd know which one was the fake and which one was the real one. <laughs> Inception. Inception. I don't even know. Is this a dream? Is this reality? I can't tell. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So Karen came by, gave me during camp. She came by. Uh, to Ernie and to Karen, I do not do, and to you, uh, I don't do revenge at all. Uh, so you have nothing to worry about. She came here and I said, why don't you go play a song? She was sure I was going to give her like a tool song. I gave her a nice <laughs> softball Michael Jackson PYT. She blazed for the campers. All was good. Got my key back. Life is good. So check this out. So John at Cherry Hill, you know, he posts probably once a day. Of mm-hmm. some amazing clutch or some amazing drum key or something. And so far, the only time I've reached out to him was about that key. I said, you know, I want to buy that. I, I love that drum key and I want something that's a an heirloom. I didn't know it would be the beginning of just making fun of Mike for the year, but that's fine. <laughs> so, uh, but he posts like every day and I always give him the double tap, but I don't ever reach out. Well, he posted a clutch and I was like, that is the baddest thing I've seen. Well, in I, I just I didn't reach out to him about it. I just kind of let it be. Um, I try not to ask for too much. So he hit me up and he said, hey, the snare that I let you borrow, it sold. Uh, can you ship it back as soon as your camp's done? I want your campers to play it, but then mm-hmm. can you ship it back? I said, yeah, absolutely. And he said, I'll, um, I'll send you uh, some money. I'll PayPal you some money for shipping. I was like, no, 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 man. It's, more, it's so cool that you did this. I'll pay for the shipping. How about the clutch you posted today? You send me that, and we'll call it even. No response. I'm like, well, that's weird. Normally, he's really quick with this stuff. And then he just writes something like the clutch of destiny. Uh, you know, we're just kind of messaging back and forth. And I said, okay, whatever. Um, maybe not. Uh, and so I'm thinking, well, I'll just go on the website and order it. I don't mind. So about two weeks goes by. Still hadn't heard anything from him. Kind of weird. 
And then a birthday present from Lou Montuli, the guy that made the Groove Scribes, shows up. I open it, and it's the clutch I wanted. Now I'm stoked, but I feel terrible because I'm pretty sure I've got one coming from John at Cherry Hill. All right. So I'm like, oh, damn it. This is the coolest clutch on the planet. I love this thing, but now I'm going to have two. I don't know how to tell Lou that, so when the second one gets here, I'll just keep that. Post pictures of it. John will think it's pictures of the clutch he made me, but it'll really be pictures of the clutch Lou ordered for me. And then I'll give Lou the other clutch for his birthday. And then finally, six months later, this whole thing will be done. (laughs) So I call Lou to thank him for my birthday present. And he was like, dude, that's the clutch you emailed them about. What happened was Lou commissioned it to be made for me. John accidentally just kind of forgot what it was for, posted a picture of it. I loved it and wrote him about it. Then he contacted Lou. He's like, oh, my God, I just screwed up Mike's birthday present. He oh. wants the clutch you ordered for him. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I'm like, wait, so there's only one? He's like, yes, there's only one of those clutches. You have it. I was like, oh, my oh. God, why is this company so much drama? <laughs> Dude. Uh, well, at least if you're you missing drama in you your life. Like order a, something from Cherry Hill. You didn't thumb down the clutch, <laughs> right? Oh, that would have been the worst, dude. Nice clutch, loser. He's like, something oh, no that's your birthday wants. present. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so now I have the clutch of destiny, the original key of destiny, and a backup key in case I ever lose it. So oh, all goodness. is good. Let's get into something else. <clears throat> Anything other than keys. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about our featured artist. He is in the October issue. Hopefully most of you listening have gotten your copies of the magazine by now. If not, it's posted on the website if you want to check it out. This is Tony Rico Nichols, who is playing with Kendrick Lamar. Um, Dude. First of all, i got to give him props for the insane drum kit. I mean, it might be my favorite touring kit I've seen in a while. He's got like stations. He's got a main kit, which is, you know, a six piece kit, but then he's got a left side setup with some pads and extra snare drums. And he's got a right side setup that looks like a little like breakbeat setup with a small bass. Oh, drum. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's got to be a fun show if he's going back and forth. And not to mention, most of the story, he kind of talks about learning how to trigger on this gig. So not only is he playing all these drums acoustically, but he also has to control all the sample layering and all that stuff so yeah it's it's definitely a kit uh i mean i'm looking at top down it's not a drum set that's a kit no no uh i gotta say when you get to letter l yeah Yeah, on on any of these yeah (laughs) what i mean by that is modern drummer generally does symbols by numbers so one through in this case 12 and then letters for the drums, and it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L <laughs> is how far it goes. So 12 symbols, L amount of drums. It's awesome. And red heads. Yeah, he's using those uh, Remo Color Sound uh, red. I think it says That's the cool. Emperors. Yeah, the Emperors. Pretty neat. Apparently his whole kit is that now. When we took the shot, he was still kind of transitioning over. That's so cool. Uh, I, I mean, I absolutely love this dude's playing. It's so yeah, professional. So, you know, it's got the flavor that you want. And it's, I mean, he's truly the definition of a modern drummer. 
so it's got all the modern flair that you want, but it's so tied to the music. And even, I mean, I, I found a couple of clips of him playing by himself. And even when he's playing by himself, I feel like he must be humming a song because it's still mm-hmm. so musical. Yeah, he's got all the chops in the world and all the modern licks at his disposal, but he doesn't just throw them out there, which is nice. No, and and it's a really cool fusion of different styles like when he's just improvising for a second i hear a little bit of straight time jazz vocabulary and mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden there'll just be this little flair that reminds me like oh he must have at some point studied world music and afro-cuban rhythms but he doesn't stay there he just hints at it real quick yeah um, he, yeah but then he there's says, always this solid pulse he says his two his biggest idol is teddy campbell and i think once you know that, you, you can see, like, oh, of yep. course, Teddy Campbell is never going to play inappropriately unless the gig calls for him to go nuts. He's always going right. to play the, the right pocket. Um, and his second idol is Steve Gadd. Exact same thing. He's got yeah. all the chops in the world, but he's just going to play what needs to be played with yeah. a lot of personality. So I think knowing yeah. that those are his two biggest idols, plus the more contemporary players like uh, Chris Dave and, and Vinny. I think everyone is influenced by Vinny at this point. Um, he's got the vibe so I wanted to drop in um, it's a video that he did for Zildjian for their K special dry series but there's some really nice playing in the beginning of it so we're going to just grab like the first minute of that video so if you if you want to find the whole thing you can just YouTube K custom special dry Tony Rico Nichols so here's the first bit I gotta say that I think that for guys like Rico Nichols and for guys like um, can't believe his name's escaping me, other drummer not Sput for Snarky Larnell. Uh, Larnell, I think those K custom special drives are just so perfect. Yeah, so yeah, they perfect. Are. I agree. I mean, um, they they hit real fast. They're dark and funky. Right. It's kind of perfect and these for guys. That style are not bashing them. These guys are playing them with respect because they are beautiful symbols. And, and I think sometimes it's almost like a trend to have a certain style of symbol, but your, your playing may not respect that trend, but these guys, and especially Tony on this, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. So I, as soon as I heard it, I was like, wow, man, that's, I've seen those symbols since they came out at NAMM two or three years ago. But that it, it just seemed like the perfect marriage right there. Yeah, um, I've, the I've used these symbols on um, basically it's any kind of gig where I need to be controlled but able to play with some intensity. They seem to be that's the vibe. Like you, mm-hmm. you're not playing yeah. delicate jazz where you really are like coaxing every nuance out of the symbol. If you right. want to be able to dig in, but they just don't take up a lot of space sonically. They've been cool for that. And that's our review of the Zilton K <laughs> Custom Special Dry. Uh, so his gig with with Kendrick, I mean, I just I can't even imagine the pressure that those types of gigs come with. And like you said, the fact that he's learning or learned how to trigger for this gig, that's yeah. just unreal. 
Yeah, he basically says he faked it until he made it with that stuff and, and relied on the tech who apparently was the drummer before him. So he, he understood all the technology of it. So he kind of helped him out. But yeah, the, the first question in the story is asking him about how he looks so incredibly relaxed on that gig. And his, an- his answer is awesome. He says, honestly, I just think about having fun. I'm up there with my brothers and, and we're doing what we love to do. So obviously there's no pressure. We're just up here there having you go. fun. Doesn't matter that there's fifteen thousand people in front of us. <laughs> yeah, or somebody's you know in the midst of one of the biggest careers in the music industry, which yeah. is just crazy. And to me, and that, I can that only also assume, I'll say that also indicates that Kendrick is probably really cool to work for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's not up there like counting your mistakes, and then after the show, he's like, yeah. you know, if you do that again tomorrow, you're going home. I would be surprised if that kind of silliness takes place. Right. Yeah, and I, I I would assume too. There's got to be this weird, uh, and I'm sure he talks about it in the story. But this weird, I guess, morphing from an album that is so not organic drums into a touring set. Yeah. And for any of the guys or girls that are doing this kind of gig, that must be a tough thing. Like, okay, I I I'm playing a real drum set. I do at some point want the power and and the sound of a real drum set but it still has to fit this style that was recorded with mostly samples and loops. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the, again, the first big chunk of the story is he talks about the biggest challenge is the sounds. Like how do I deal right. with all these sounds and what do I want to play versus trigger? And it's, it's pretty, I mean, that's, that's the gig these days. I think on any mm-hmm. level, you're kind of expected to have a working knowledge of this stuff and yeah. be no, just I, badass I at the drums too. It's like this, you want me to be a sound designer and have a great pocket? Is anyone asking Steve Jordan or Steve Gadd to do that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, I, I, exactly. I'm sure they would just say, uh, you do that and I'll show up and play. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that is the gig and that's why it's it's cool to have somebody like this featured because, like I said, they are the definition of, of what a modern drummer is and what the roles and responsibilities of a modern drummer are. Uh, I think he's fantastic. And in that Zildjian video... You get to hear him speak, and you can just tell how massively respectful and collected he is about drumming, about the gear that he's playing. It's it's really cool. I love things like that where you get just a hint of somebody's personality because that's kind of the point of social media is it's it's bringing us you know it's, it's not always positive, but generally it's bringing us closer together. And it's like oh cool, yeah. I just got to hear Steve Gad speak. I didn't even know if he had an accent or not, yeah. you know, or yeah, whatever right. it is. And uh, getting to hear him speak, I feel like, okay, I'm looking into this man's eyes. I'm seeing his vibe, and I feel like, okay, I wouldn't mind approaching this person at NAMM and just saying, hey, big fan, love what you're doing. Yeah, and you uh, know, and you can see that it's pretty consistent. Like, look at other big gig drummers, and, and they're usually pretty cool. And anytime they're speaking yeah. to the camera is usually a bit of humility. So I think that's yeah. a key factor is the ones the who personality. have the biggest gigs are usually the coolest people as well. Who? Yeah. I mean, well, if you're already – I'm not saying that um, any of these artists are, but if you're a little bit of a diva because you are the singer, songwriter, the front man, front woman, do you really want to bring another one of those on your bus? 
no. you're already not there. A, yeah, no. not, not when it's just one person's name on the marquee. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like I want the chillest band possible. I mean, if it's the Red Hot Chili Peppers, then all four of you can be maniacs. That's yes, cool. exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Led Zeppelin, indeed. All right. So check out Tony Rico Nichols. He's absolutely amazing. And uh, you can check that out. Also check out, there's a video from uh, the Mac Garage channel so it's rico nichols drummer for kendrick lamar the mac garage performance he's playing a kaz rodriguez track it's a killer track but the track was built for just to blaze over um which kaz does freaking like a god but when you watch him play when you watch rico play this it's kind of crazy how musical he makes it and how he turns it into not a blazing track. He's very, very tasteful with all the chops and all the accents and, and ensemble figures. It's really cool. Yeah, that one's cool. Definitely. I mean, yeah, what a contrast between. I mean, but similar, similar vocabulary, similar style, but Tony's playing. That's and Cass the thing is, is very different. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he Tony has the facility. He could do whatever yeah. he wants, but I think because of his the his idols and the gig he's in, he's just trained to turn it into a song. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, where I think 99% of us that have that facility would think, listen to all this space for me to throw chops over. <laughs> right. uh, so, and then you look at the gig he's got. He's got one of the biggest gigs in the entire world, and it's because he's song driven. So, good for him. All right. Uh, all right. Is it gear review time? Is yeah. it candy time? So, we're going to talk about actually. Ironically, some other dry symbols. These are Pisces Master mm-hmm. Series dry and extra dry rides, which I had the good pleasure of reviewing. Um, and I'm actually going to be using one of these for PASIC. Uh, Tim at Pisces offered to let me steal some symbols to use so I don't have to take anything. So I'm going to be nice. using, I believe I'm going to be using the 21 Masters dry plus a few other things. So these symbols were cool. They're in the Master Series, which I. I I have not heard anything in that series that wasn't just incredible. Um, some of the stuff we'll talk about later was was designed in collaboration with Jim Keltner, so it's just very beautiful and and smooth sounding symbols. Yeah, these were like so dry, so freaking dry. Yeah. Like, they're called dry. It should be bone dry rides <laughs> and desert yeah, I dry was, rides. I mean, I got to give it up to him though. Uh, you know, I remember. Eric telling me when I was making the move from Peisty to Minel, he was he was saying we we make beautiful symbols. That's what we do because we we're he he was very understanding that it was a sound thing and not a company thing. I mean, everyone at Peisty was amazing to me my entire time there, and the quality was you know next level. So he said we make beautiful symbols. That's what we mm-hmm. do. And if you're looking for something else, I I don't know what else to tell you. But what's funny is they're still doing what they do, but with keeping with modern times, like these are dry, but they're still so peisty. They're still yeah. so beautiful and yeah. clean. They are clean. They're not nasty. It's the different. I think the difference between this 20 inch Masters Dry and the Zildjian Special Dry or the Mino Byzance, they're not trashy. There's like no, no. trash in them at all. They're just super uh, dry. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's listen to them real quick. Thank you. 
They sound like they have gaff tape on them. Yeah, well, so that first clip was the 20 dry and then the 20 extra dry. The extra dries were almost humorous. How, like... (sighs) I was thinking, I how can you make a symbol that dry? I mean, it's metal; it reverberates. I, it literally sounds like there's gels on it. It kind but of reminded awesome. me of like uh, I'm, I'm kind of poking fun, but these were really awesome symbols. But it reminds me of like video, like music video symbols, where they they weld yep. two symbols together, and mm-hmm. no matter what you do, it's just like a <gasps> kind of right. a sound. But I mean, I I honestly can see tons of situations where it's like I'm taking my heisty masters 20 dry extra dry because i'm playing at a small place there's yeah. people eating dinner five feet away from my ride symbol yeah totally. and i don't want to change how i play and if, too yeah, much and i've seen so many people resort to putting strips and strips of tape on the symbol and that just creates yep. these dead spots where it has no sound this still has a full completely full sound it's just it's just got a governor. It just won't go anywhere, yeah. <laughs> which is cool. Yeah, and I, 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 like I said, I mean, I kind of dig. I can tell you right now that if uh, if I was still a Peisty artist, the twenty one dry um, or the twenty one extra dry, I mean, I have to play them in person. But that would definitely be my ride on my kit. I, I, I love them. I think they sound amazing. Yeah, the twenty one. Uh, I think for both models was the sweet spot of, of okay. getting enough resonance, but not too much the 22 inch extra dry which we should drop in was shockingly dry that clip i crashed that 22 extra dry as hard as i would crash a china symbol and it just doesn't do anything (laughs) you know what though i i do love the fact that the 22 dry and the 22 extra dry are really different yeah sometimes things come out i'm like is this the thin or is this the extra thin i can't tell or is this the extra thin hammered thin right right medium (laughs) But those two, there's a reason for both of those symbols to exist in the 20, in the 21, and in the 22. Yeah, there was a there was a drastic difference. They, I mean, they were both in, all in the same family of of shortened, sustained. But the extra drives were <laughs> like if you need the the driest ride symbol sound possible. Bro, I just am just now reading your review where you say. Um, sounds like a classic Turkish style ride that's been muted with a bit of gaff tape. Yep, I yeah. did not see that. Okay, right on. I'll read your reviews before I start speaking next time. <laughs> like, dude, sounds like it's got gaff tape on it. It just confirms um, the report, and I'm sure anyone at Peisty would say that was kind of what they were going for. They wanted to give players who usually have to tape up their ride symbols an option where they can just pull them out of the case and use them. Yeah, and honestly, I. I think there's something in our brains that says, I spent $400 on this symbol, and now you want me to put tape on it? Yeah. No. Right. No. You know, or, or like, you want me to put two pillows inside my $3,000 bass drum? <laughs> I don't want to do it. Well, I've spent all this money. Yeah. And so this gives you that, like, no, no, no. Just take it out of your symbol bag, put it on the stand. I just don't understand physically and sonically how it's possible to take metal and then make it that dry. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know that the series that I play by... 
by Meinl is called the extra dry. Yeah, I mean, how much yeah. more dry could it get? <laughs> this extra dry. <clears throat> My goodness. So, guys, check out the full review of the Peisty Masters Dry and Extra Dry Rides. Uh, I was really impressed with those. And, uh, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for Peisty. I was there for 14 years. And as a minor artist, I'm telling you, those those symbols are bringing something to the table that doesn't exist currently. So it's really cool to hear that. All right, let's get into their questions. Okay, this Your is questions. from uh, Michael Rafter. Question, hey, could you share details of your typical process for recording tracks for artist projects? How do you receive the files, load them up, and how do you organize, and how many files do you send back to the artist? Do you send raw files or processed files? Um, That's all you, bud. Yeah, it's kind of my, my daily work outside of Modern Drummer. Okay, so I usually get either a, uh, a demo that has drums in it, like a full production demo with like program drums or something like that usually I get that and then a version without the drums and then I always request that they send me their click track as a separate wave file that way I'm not worrying about tempo drifts if something doesn't line up so that's like the best case scenario other times I get just a rough demo it might just be guitar and vocal that none of it's final um, and then just the tempo so the, here's the song and it's at 100 BPM do your thing um, okay, so that's usually how I receive it in those two. Um, I'd never get something with drums on it, and I record over top of the drums that are there. I never do that. Okay, It's always, please separate the drums so I can mute them. I like to have them as reference just for whatever kind of vibe they're going for, but inevitably they get taken out. Um, how do you load them up? Um, I just drag them into the session. Thankfully, Logic Pro has got some smart features where it'll identify the tempo as soon as you pull it in, so you don't have to. Oh, wow, that's cool. You don't usually don't have to worry about too much of editing and moving things around. Um, how many files do I send back to the artist? I usually send a test mix of an MP3 of here's where I'm at. Do you like it? What do you want to change? If everything's cool, I just give them all the files. I just render them as they are. I definitely do some processing. No one gets 100% raw files for me because okay. they're going to sound That's like good garbage. To know. So, right. So I'm just you know certain eq that i know will have to be done no matter what i do it certain compression things that i know will have to be done i just do it without affecting the the tonalities of the tracks yeah the goal is just to tighten up the file so it's not all peaks and to get rid of a lot of the you know the muddy crap that's in there with eq yeah i don't print reverb or anything like that unless they request it Um, that's it i just send back the wave files and on our way nice and do you just put, I'm assuming they're all just individual stems and you just put them in a zip folder? Yep. And or do you I, just or yeah, throw it on in, Dropbox? In pretty much everything is small enough to use the WeTransfer free option. So I just use that, WeTransfer.com. Okay. Hasn't Perfect. been anything that's been, unless I'm doing multiple songs and then it might be over the, the limit. Then I'll just send it a couple different times. It's relatively simple these days. The hardest part is the time lag between when you do the first pass and when they finally approve it. That can be a sure. drag because I don't want to necessarily leave my studio set up waiting to finish a track, and then they're like, "Oh, I'm on vacation. I'll be back next week." That, oh, th- that I, you know, in general, I'm like, "Can you just check it out today, tomorrow? <laughs> you know, let right. me know." I've and got that kid on. not tuning. Everything <laughs> yeah. is set up for your track. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, if I was doing it full right. time, then I would probably be more like 
you got to be available at noon on Wednesday or something like that. Sure. To give me an approval. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's from Michael. Our next one is from Tony. Okay. I would like to be able to deliberately sit behind the click when I wish. Mm. He says, when I record with a click, uh, I have a slight tendency to sit just in front of it, but not speeding up. Uh, once the click is removed, recording sounds fine, but I want to be able to deliberately, de- deliberately sit behind the click. I'm hoping you could make some suggestions or ways of practicing playing behind the click in order to overcome my natural tendency to sit in front. This is uh, actually very relevant for me right now. Um, I just got to the point where I feel like I don't have to be hyper tense about the time, and I can mm. actually just relax. So it, it's... 100% mental. Like, if I'm thinking, play in time, play in time, I'm always going to be ahead because I'm so f- afraid of being, of dragging. Yeah, yeah. So if I just kind of chill and let the click just kind of guide me, it, it, it sits right, it sits either right on it or just slightly behind it. And that's been a very recent experience. And I'm, what am I, six, eight years in the making of that to happen. So right. it's been a long time. Ash said something really similar when he was talking about doing all the tracking that he does. He was saying, unless it's for a full-blown bubblegum pop hit where he has to be flawlessly on the grid because it's so quantized, he said pretty much the same thing. He said his click is his guide, but he's playing to the music, he's playing to the feel, mm-hmm. and he's not worried about a producer saying, you were behind on that one backbeat. It's like, you know, it, in Ash's world he would say turn off the click and see how that backbeat sounds with the, with the song yeah because yeah. i asked him i said do you have the click just cranked in your headphones he's like oh not at all no i just it's just a guide you know um yeah it doesn't mean i mean ash is one of the best session drummers in the world right now so he's not loose with it it's just that it's not this thing that i think for a lot of people beats one two three and four are these games that you can possibly, or it's a contest. Can you win by hitting one and then two and then three yeah. and then four and then do it again 600 times in a row? Eventually, you're going to lose that contest. Yeah, um, it's definitely an anxiety, a mental anxiety for me that it's taken years of practice, like every single day, assessing myself with the beatnik and with the right. metronome and recording myself and seeing what, what I'm actually doing versus what I think I'm doing and all that stuff to the point where now I'm like, I know I can play in time. Let's chill and not freak out about it. Because I think, right. I think for me, for a long time, the question was if if I can bury the click, because that's the term we all have heard. Right. Sure. If I can obliterate the click where you can't hear it anymore, I must be in perfect time. For me, that actually means I'm slightly ahead of the click because okay. the sound I'm producing is obliterating the click, which comes just after when I hit the drum. Right. So to actually be truly in time, I need to hear the click and then play like i need to hear it and then come down with the stick it's just sure. milliseconds but that is what at this point i'm i'm finally able to hear that but wow i don't know how anyone could just say without ever practicing and really focusing on developing their ear be like i'm gonna play behind the beat you're gonna drag is what you're gonna do yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and and it I can hear the push and pull of, oh, you're trying to play behind the click. So your natural tendency, what's been beaten into you your whole life, gets you back on the click. And then you realize that you're on it, so you pull back again. And yeah. then you get back on, and you pull back again. Yeah, this and it's this push and pull for the whole track. And it's I, really uh, rare. Go ahead. 
I'll say John Robinson said that whenever he sees a drummer play heels up, he knows uh-huh. that their bass drum is going to be ahead of the click. Oh, really? He says if you play heel down, you're going to be right on it, which is wow. interesting. So that's, yeah, yeah. So he made that decision for himself to make sure his bass drum would stay on time, not be ahead. Wow. It's interesting. Wow. But we're it talking is. like 10 millisecond in- increments. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, but at the at the same time, it still is going to come down to record, turn the click off. How does the track sound? Yeah, right. Because um, you might look at, at at the grid and go, no, 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 I am flawless. And it's like, yeah, but it sounds like crap. I don't care that you're flawless. Like, yeah, exactly. It doesn't sound good. And what do you Make plan it sound to? Good. Are you playing to tracks that have been gridded out? Then that's a whole other ballgame. Are you playing with actual right. humans in the room with you? Then that's right. the perfect experience because then you can kind of go with each other and it'll it'll always feel right but i found if i'm playing to a demo and they say just play to the click inevitably i sound so bad because the guitar acoustic guitar is going to be all over the freaking place you know right. you have to kind of navigate like where is he does he speed up a little bit right before that course then i need to go with him yeah you know, i agree that kind of stuff it's it's tricky it's definitely Pandora's box. I sometimes wish mm-hmm. I could just close it back. <laughs> All right. Our last one is from Carl. Uh, I own a Mapex Pro M five-piece kit from around 2001, and it came with a suspended 14 by 14 floor tom that I want to convert into a floor tom with legs. Hmm. Um, I've read that I can drill holes into the shell, which I'm not comfortable with, and mount the legs, or I could possibly use some type of floor tom suspension system. Do you have any recommendations? Yeah, doesn't DW make one of those? He um, is taking a a suspended tom, so I guess it's a a tom that doesn't have legs, and he wants to put legs on it. Yeah, I, I thought I thought DW had like a floor tom cradle to to change your suspended toms into ones with legs. So it's like a a big rim with three legs on it. And then you put your floor Tom in it. I'll have to, I'll have to double check that. Um, That I I mean, that sounds familiar. And I think might even be like a Gauger system. That's similar. Um, The other option would be uh, the net has those clip on multi clamps that you can put floor Tom legs into. Um, I'm thinking, the Ludwig Atlas uh, multi-purpose things, they, they replace lugs and then provide like a mount option. Okay. So you can just replace three um, of your lugs with the, the Ludwig Atlas thing and then legs should go right into it. And also, you know, um, oh, hold on. I'm looking at, yeah, they've got some floor tom conversion kits. Oh, a lot of this stuff is turning your floor tom into a bass drum. Um, but yeah, the other thing is, I mean, it's unless you're just not wanting to drill for um, for resale purpose. It, I mean, really, I it's not going to change anything. Like by drilling some holes into your drum, trust me. Like that's not where all of your resonance is coming from. You're going to get a different resonance just from the fact that you're turning it into a floor tom, no matter how you use it, unless you're going to put it into a short and DW does make this. They make very short snare stands that will allow you to have it really low, like a floor tom. So you could try that as well. Yeah. Um, That that seems like unnecessary extra step for me. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I would drill it. Just make sure it's straight. Yeah. The biggest thing is going to be making sure the mount is put on straight so you don't have like mm-hmm. a Salvador Dali floor tom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, leaning tower floor tom. Yeah, I, I think just drill it. I mean, I, I'm not knocking down your kit at all, but it, it's a Mapex Pro-M. It's, it's a nice high-level Mapex kit, but it's not some custom-made twenty thousand dollar kit where by drilling into it you've ruined the value of the drum i mean honestly uh, especially if you think no i'm going to use this kit for a while it's like well then just make it into a floor tom you know get some yeah just do it and, and it won't be expensive at all to do so well that's all the questions so please send them in uh md info at monodrummer.com we could use some more intro and outro beats as well we have a few more um but that's where we're at with that Sweet. All right. It is time to get to our picks of the week. Did you my find pick one? of the week this time? I did. <laughs> I did. I went back through my YouTube history and uh, I found something where. So, this, and I don't know if I've made this a pick of the week before, but I've probably mentioned it. But um, this year in our drum camps, one of the rabbit holes that we go down is the Gadsden Groove. Mm. And we really, really go deep with that thing. But in doing so, no one knows who James Gadsden is, and everyone thinks it's Bob Gadsden and the T. <laughs> Interesting. And uh, <laughs> so, so no one knows who he is or what he's done or that he's still alive, still killing it. Um, so part of that day of camp is me showing them James Gadsden videos, modern and past. And one of the best sets of videos is the stuff he did with Bill Withers. And um, there's Use Me, there's Ain't No Sunshine. And my recommendation is not for James Gadsden. You're going to get that. You're going to watch the video and you're going to be like, who's the drummer? Because that's a funky dude. My recommendation is those videos because I want you to see Bill Withers. I want you to see this guy sitting in a turtleneck sweater, playing an acoustic guitar with probably what we would consider to be a very cheap microphone nowadays. And he sounds flawless. He sounds like an album. And I just can't even imagine when... When we see the stuff from Bill Withers and then we see those videos like Marvin Gaye, Vocals Isolated, I just can't even comprehend the level of musicianship and professionalism professionalism that was going on in the vocal world at that time. I'm not saying it's not going on now, but there's no auto-tune. There's no pitch correct. These are some of the best vocalists on the planet. and. This it's just an incredible thing to yeah, see, and I, I'm a huge fan of this this world of music. Um, and yeah, Aretha Franklin, Freddie Mercury, just yeah. go down the line of just freak show singing. Yeah, and it was just it, it was so so talent driven, and if you could sing, you could sing, you know. And, and uh, so yeah, so check out literally just type in Bill Withers, "Ain't No Sunshine," and you'll start seeing these videos that I'm talking about. That's got James Gadsden playing i'm pretty sure uh kanye west is on bass and i'm not kidding please watch the video and tell me that's not kanye west on bass i understand this was recorded in like 1971 but modern day kanye west is on bass in a 70s getup. so check that out uh but it, it it is it is quite incredible and i like i said i'm sending you there not for the drumming i'm sending you there for bill withers vocals because it's just amazing all right so my pick of the week is um a new pre-release that it looks like the the full album is coming out in november but eric harlan just put dropped a killer track it's called fast five and the album is going to be called 13th floor check out the track i feel like we're in an era now where drumming is becoming drumming again like 
Nate, I think Nate Smith is partly responsible. Yes. Like I'm going to just play some killer beats and stuff that's undeniable with very little fanciness, but it's right. still killing. I think we're getting back to that that kind of like drummers are going to be mm-hmm. trying to outdo each other in a good way. Yes. So check out Agreed. it's called Fast Five. Is he, it on iTunes or where would on, I find this? Yeah, it's on Apple Music. It's probably on Spotify. He just dropped it, I believe, yesterday. It's a three-minute tune with like kind of ambient textures from the band, and he is just killing it. And it's under his own name, right? Yep. Yeah. So it kind right. of it's kind of like a for me. It felt like this is if if Eric said, "I want to do Nefertiti," you know, the classic track where it's Miles Davis band just playing this vamp while Tony just goes for it. Right, and that's kind of what this feels like. It's Eric's version of that, where he's just going for it for three minutes in the most tasteful, butterfly kind of light, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of way. It's it's beautiful. Love it. All right. Well, everyone, thank you guys so much for listening to episode 157 of the podcast. Mike and I appreciate it. If you can go over to iTunes or Podcast One or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star rating and a review. That stuff helps other drummers find this, which we seriously appreciate. Um, dude, i got to go practice. Yeah, right? I'll fire it up. You've got, you've got PASIC. I've got the UK <laughs> Drum Show. Let's make some history. By the way, if any of you listeners are coming to the UK Drum Show, I will be there on Saturday to hang out and support the other drummers, um, but I'm performing on Sunday. Please come out and hang. Like I, It's my only chance to meet you guys in person and hang, and I love that stuff, so... I would hate to know that I walked past you and you just thought that maybe I looked too busy to say hi to. Please don't do that. Just come up, give me a hug, let's hang. All right, we're going to let Stefano uh, send us out again. This is another iPhone beat, so that's it. Thanks, Stefano, and we'll see you next week. 